And it's Thursday, March 3rd, and today was episode 55 of Television with special guest Julia Powell, author of 33 Million People in the Room. And we talked about, in this post-Charlie Sheen America, today we talked about how to tumble better, right? What else did we talk about, Juliet? Leaderless revolutions. We talked talked about multidisciplinary and collaboration. Yeah, Deb, what else? We talked about the gathering and how Juliet brings together all these people from around the world to like co-create really interesting projects. And Kevin, one more. We talked about Ditto Me and Dutch school children. <laughs> <laughs> and it's yes, we really, did. It's really, really worth listening to for the Dutch school children. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Listen in. Thanks and join us at TumbleVision.tv. Heather Gold, and welcome to Tumble Vision, episode 55. We've been out for a long time. Tumble Vision is where, our, thanks to our listeners, we can tell you that it's where our human and tech selves intersect. A fresh perspective on social engagement in business. I love that. Thank you, Pew. God, what are your name? <laughs> Pew Chandra. I'm uh, here this week hosting from found the Foundry in... Uh, in Toronto, downtown Toronto, Canada. And Television is a weekly salon-style podcast about how to connect and create a world that puts people in the center of business, tech, and culture instead of the other way around. So each week we talk about different dimensions of tumbling uh, with different really interesting people that we find that are kind of leading this around the world, people who tumble themselves or are helping create space for that. And what is this wacky word, tumbling? It is a Yiddish word. Uh, it's actually a pretty old job. It's a tumbler with someone who is literally a noisemaker, somebody who's hired to entertain at a wedding or bar mitzvah, or if you saw dirty dancing, the people in the background are dancing with baby, not putting her in a corner. Tumblers not only kind of put on a show, but they hung out with everybody and they got them involved. And in a networked world where hierarchies don't work so much anymore, how is it that you keep conversation going? How is it that you help make people act or make things happen? You tumble is really the necessary skill set our time and the here to host the show with me are uh, as part of our little crew is a geek technology technologist to the stars <laughs> kevin and by that i mean literally the ones in the sky because i doubt he really cares about the, the human ones on the earth kevin marks thank you i i did actually do astronomy when i first started out at university a long time ago but with radio telescopes there was technology for the stars Radio telescope? Yep. We'll get back to that in a moment. Also joining <laughs> us, Kevin, Kevin's in, in Silicon Valley, and also joining us is the business Tumblr, the maven for the ages, Deb Schultz. Hello, everybody. I'm sitting in San Francisco where it's getting dark and foggy. Well, it's already pitch black here in the East Coast. And our first uh, opening chunk of the show, we're going to get into some uh, stories that we noticed this week that we think are important. And please always feel free to bring th- stuff to our attention. You could tweet any of us. You can find our handles at uh, tumblevision.tv, T-U-M-M-E-L-V-I-S-I-O-N.tv. And if you're so inclined, we're on iTunes if you'd like to subscribe or review the show, which we would really appreciate, or participate with us. Just let us know how you'd like to be involved, if you'd like to get on, or what you'd like us to talk about. So this week, a couple things came up. Um, the thing I found most interesting, it's, it's not a new post, but it's a very relevant and I think an important one by Stow Boyd, who we've had on the show before, who's a thinker, writes a lot about flows and uh, enterprise stuff, about basically essentially saying that you are who you follow, inverting the sort of traditional, not traditional, but the, the conventional wisdom that it's all about how many numbers you have next to your name and how many people are following you. So then what did you, what did you find? Um, uh, do you think that that's, that that's more accurate? And I, and Stowe is get, getting a little more detailed than just how you follow. He's sort of doing an analysis of how networks work and who really ends up impacting networks the most. 
Well, what I liked about it, I mean, I did a big exhale because I completely agree. You know, I love it because I remember a few years ago when this stuff started taking off and people would always ask, how do you have so many friends on Facebook or followers? It was very much using the old metaphor of each individual as a, um, as a media entity only. Now, yes, sometimes there are some people, which I'm sure we'll talk about tonight, who view, you know, who want to get big numbers and lots of people. But to me, the most interesting part of living our lives more online is not who's behind you, but who you follow. It says it's like, who's your social network? Who do you hang out with? What do, it's like, what do you read for the for the 21st century? It's it's more about, you know, who's your crew. it's more about who's your crew, you know, than it is about who's following you to get on some weird bandwagon. And I think part of Stowe's point was the more different worlds you're part of, the more you'll end up impacting in the world. And the way you know whether or not someone's part of worlds is by who they're – he was talking about betweenness. Yes, I I imagine he means a sort of strength of your link to somebody. Um, So that's – And and, and, and edge – and, you know, and living on the edge. And describing that is really describing tumblers, right? To a certain degree, tumblers do tend to be people who connect and catalyze people at edges. Yeah, and they tend to, and a real people who tend to tumble, whether or not they even know it, are liminal people. And mm-hmm. uh, I'd include our, I'm still proud American, our president, Barack Obama, anybody who's lived um, in multiple cultures, and I, I think any, any kind of, has any kind of multiple um, ethnic or racial background, or is queer, or is, comes from one place or language to another, I think you can't avoid but learn some of that kind of translation. It's it's just sort of part of your life. You don't even, may even not notice yourself doing it. People who are projects with teams, with people who are incredibly different and have to explain the artists to the coders and vice versa. You know, I mean, I think that that's, that's my sense is that the more liminal you are, the more naturally you've just learned these skills by the time you're even an adolescent. So, so, uh, Kevin, anything else you want to point out about, about Stowe's piece that you thought was important before, or you want to move right into Teresa Nielsen Hayden's blog post about her, uh, her kids learning social skills? Well, I think, I think, you know, Stowe's point is about numbers is spot on and there's, there's far too much, um, reductionism of of things to numbers um in in all these things and um and it, it, the thing that i found is it's something that is is there's something that the media people ask first whenever you you're interviewed or speak about twitter that they, they they want a number to hang on you and say how many how many people follow you and so on um and and i always find it disconcerting because i use clients that don't show me numbers i deliberately turn numbers off for all these things well, it's sort, of, it's sort of a sign of the how big, how great is your sphere of influence. And Stowe's point is your sphere of influence is more about your connectedness to otherness rather than an old model of one to many. Right. Right. Yeah. What if you say, well, just one person follows me, but it's the president. Right. And he retweets everything I say. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I wouldn't find that that interesting. It's just a funny thing to say. I know. I know, but I wouldn't, but I was thinking about it for a minute. I'm like, would that be, no, no, that wouldn't be interesting to me because it's one powerful person makes you a very one dimensional. When I look at celebrities, I always want to see who are the 13 people they follow. It's always interesting to me. Yes. Their family. I don't really care about, you know, that everybody wants to know what they have to say because big surprise, you know, it's, it's, it's also how influential what they say is probably very unlikely that they're that influential because everybody follows Charlie Sheen. Now we'll get there later in the show. Okay. So, uh, Kevin, do you, did you uh, have any thoughts about Teresa Nelson Hayden, the, the modern coiner of Tumblr for this usage and a former guest here on Tumblr vision wrote a piece about, um, on her blog, making light about watching her kids in a, have a social skills program. And learning how to deal with sort of anger and conflict. I don't know if you read this piece, but it's, we're gonna. I'm, I'm sure Angel put the producer Angel put the link out. Um, this is really awesome. I don't know if oh no, it's uh, posted by Abby Sutherland. Do you know? I wonder if the school is like a special school or it's a public school. It's a. It's a I think it's an ordinary public school in Holland. Um, Abby's, oh, oh, Holland. that's in the Holland. piece you have to end in there. So that's, it's that's, that's the piece you have to know about. But you, you can. That's what it says. Dutch lessons, and she she does explain it. Um, and it is 
yeah, they they talk about the peaceful school, um, and they they basically teach all the children to, to um, deal with conflict, um, and they they talk about it in terms of colors. Red is anger and fighting black back. Um, uh, blue is backing away and retreating, and then yellow is talking things through. And they they use these colors to 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 cue the different kinds of behavior. Whether you're being aggressive, whether you're just giving in, or whether you're actually um, having a debate about it. And and this is something they teach in in, in primary school. Now let me bring in our special guest for today. Juliet Powell, author of 33 Million People in the Room and a uh, very popular speaker on social media topics and Tumblr of the Gathering, which is a sort of Teddish kind of group of people who actually make stuff together. It's my understanding of how that kind of network works. Juliet Powell and fellow Canadian, almost American. Are you also American? I am. Yeah. Yeah. So, we're, so we're, you're a fellow ethnic Canadian American. I always say that's my <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like to say I'm all mixed up. <laughs> right, Every, everything going. So, Juliet, welcome to Tumble Vision. It's fun to have you here. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I've been hearing about this show for a very, very long time, and I'm thrilled to be the guest. You know, two of my favorite people are participating, you know, so there's no way that I would not be here tonight. Yay. And to prove that, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so, um, so this this uh, thing that Kevin was just going into about learning sort of social skills in school, do you think that that's something Americans would ever do? Could do, do? <laughs> you know, I am an American, but I did go to school in Canada, and so I'm I'm just getting to know the educational system in the United States. And one of the primary reasons I'm learning about it is because I've been asked. Uh, by a couple of universities and uh, principals and school teachers and even students, how better to use social media in education. Um, but I, I have to agree that diversity is the key. Um, digital leadership is also incredibly important. And, and having those two together, both in terms of, you know, cultural understanding, technological understanding, but also this this openness to trying new things, to kind of co-creating what education is. And I don't know that that's necessarily going to come from the educational institutions themselves, uh, as opposed to the students and the parents who are putting their kids in school. So just if you maybe stay with us, we're going to hit a couple more news stories and then we'll dive deeper into, into your thoughts about digital leadership or the other kind of work that you do. Um, one of our uh, tumble heads, I don't know what we're going to call everybody in our little world, tumble. Howard Lipson, tumble, tumble, tumble visioneers. No, nothing, anyway. that, nothing that smacks of Disneyland and Masketeers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Howard Lipson, who always writes some yeah. great stuff. Nice, <laughs> oh, that's nice. Like sommelier. Yeah, yeah I like that. It's like classy, but Yiddish. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What would you like to go with that, Kanish? Um, So Howard Lipson, the Jews, we're all about connecting, wrote a nice piece about rainmaking on on developer communities and a lot about um, trying to really focus on garden and gardening mentality versus engineering. Like the, the difference between feeling like you're making stuff happening versus creating there's situation to allow that to happen. And uh, when you talk about leadership, digital leadership, Juliet, would you say that that's the thing that, I mean, I, at least I guess we view that as distinguishing it from the way things were in a much more top down world. What does that, does that sync with the kind of thinking you've had or is there, there other ways you view what helps people lead? Isn't lead a good word now? It's lead a good word now as opposed to yesterday or a minute ago. As opposed to last week, leaders leaders are now bad bad words these <laughs> days. To it, but is it an accurate word to say leadership in the same sense that you think of like Lords uh-huh. of Arabia? Like I'm out there in front of my my army leading them ahead to, you know, fight. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I've been thinking a lot just like most of us about the Middle East and what's going on there and, and the idea of 
leaders, leadership, and leaderless revolutions. And so I think that, in fact, you're, you're right in asking the question, because I think that the, the meaning of the word is changing minute by minute. What is a leader? Um, is a leader the kid that's in the street, you know, fighting for his or her life, trying to make a difference, trying to change the world? A leader, even if nobody else knows about that kid? I would say yes. In the larger sense, would they be considered a leader? It depends on who you're asking. But when I when I originally started thinking about digital leadership, it was very much in a business sense um, because I had been talking with my publisher about the second book and the idea that, um, you know, you've got people that know how to build and grow a company from a leadership perspective. They've got an amazing vision. They're able to communicate it. You know, they're in touch with the zeitgeist of the world and are able to, you know, monetize it. And then you've got the other form of leadership that I was thinking about is, is people that know how to use digital tools to get their communicate their messages out there, to create their own messages, to distribute them, to communicate whatever they want. And those are skills that are very, very different from traditional leadership. And looking at, you know, who will be the leaders of the future, whether we're talking about on a you know, business side or on an economic side or political side, I think it's really going to be the people that have both of those skills. Yeah, I actually think we might even have in the future, I mean, different in the business world for sure, different types of leaders for different points in a company's existence and different types of companies or more than one leader. Because I think the leader that different organizations at a different time and place and certain people who, you know, just have that I will follow you to the ends of the earth no matter what you say goes, that top-down hierarchy, does have a place in time. But to me, and, you know, that's what, Heather, you were talking about at the beginning, to me, the true leaders of the future are going to be less about telling people what to do than enabling empowering people, people to do. Yeah. Empowering people right. to do. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's more of like, I mean, really platforms to me, everything's kind of coming from software and it's seeing what's working online. I mean, all the stuff I've done live has been learned from web, not all of it, but the, the biggest changes were learned from the web. They were more about iterating and, um, and trying to create a, a room that felt like a platform for other people, which is very different than everyone just listened to me, which isn't to say I'm not at least in performing, still having something I'm saying, but it's a little bit different than having it only be about what I'm saying. You know, who um, really taught me about leadership was, um, cause you're in Toronto. I'm thinking about this, Heather. It's uh, Moses Neimer from much music and chum television and all yeah. that. Moses, Moses is kind of a, a legend in Canada. Maybe yeah. you can explain him to our, to our listeners or our other friends here. So Moses was a producer at the CBC, which is uh, the Canadian broadcast corporation. And at one point he got tired of this kind of generating mush for television and decided that he was going to start his own television network. He was 29 years old at the time. He pulled the money together and essentially started a television revolution in Canada, like back in the late seventies. And the idea was that anybody and everybody can be in front of the camera, has something to say, can add value to their community. And so that whole idea of empowering people, not just the elite, but anyone um, you know, is something that's kind of fundamental to the way that he was doing television and, and the way that I kind of grew up and learned about media as a whole, both broadcast and broadband. Interesting. I mean, the, 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 the other metaphor that I was thinking of while both of you were talking is, and I learned this from, from an Israeli conductor friend, Itai, is, is the metaphor of a conductor. You know, even within the you know, classical music conductor paradigm, you have the good and the bad conductors. But we'll have to find the link, and we'll sh- if we could have Itai on the show at some point, you can see that even conductors who are there to catalyze others to action can do it in a exciting, empowering way or in a top-down command and control way. Like, I will point this stick at you, and oboes, you must play now. And you jump to the, you know, you jump to the note versus the one who sort of pulls out of you in that sort of unpresenting Tumblr way that, that Heather, you talk about the, I'm, I really want to play this note and I feel this note and I'm going to be involved in this whole. And I think the latter is probably what we need more of. Oh, um, I agree. It's I think he's so great. He, uh, by the way, he's got a great TED talk online, but that's yes. exactly that talk. Yep. And his favorite conductor 
is uh, Leonard. Would you guys spell spell his name? So people yeah, I'll know. find the link. I'll find the link and then I'll uh, spell. You're him. talking about uh, the guy is married to uh, his wife wrote the book. You're, I know you're talking. He used to he used to conduct pops, not the pops. The, no, uh, no, 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 no. Rarely uh, symphony orchestra. Oh, I'm mixing him up with another conductor. Who gives a very similar talk. <laughs> in the states okay yeah yeah he talks a lot about in fact that this other guy talks about Itai Talgum. Uh, yes. an example another conductor Itai Talgum. all right um we don't have just to move yes. into our next segment so we can dive deeper into Juliet's stuff i just want to quickly give a name to Anne's. um and i'm sorry i don't have your last name right and uh one of our tumulnicks we're going to cut you guys come up with a better name for this please than what i'm what i'm tumulnicks. murdering here he where she wanted for a while she's talking particularly about journalism and sort of we don't want not wanting the notion of audience you know you don't want spectators really watching stuff wanting more involvement and and some nice words about the show and sort of how we're trying to grapple with this and, and kind of i've used people formerly known as the audience jay rosen is the first to come up with it how is it that you kind of name people and what is it that they're doing? And I'd say that um, everyone's sort of creating. It's part of the end of the use of the word consumer. Or mm-hmm. Audience isn't so great. And maybe it's not just um, helping people feel like they want to play the note, but it's being willing to let them tell you the note's wrong and then agree to change it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Beethoven might have a, an argument with that if it's written a certain way, but I understand what you're saying. <laughs> that's good. I like it. But that's that's about being agile. That's that's also about like sort of agility and leadership, right? Being able to sort of adapt and change. And the only way you can adapt and change is if if you have a, a group of people who are willing to adapt and change with you, right? Kevin, isn't that sort of the pivot idea? He's on yes. Mute. Sorry, I was, I was on mute because there were, there were dogs and things here. There was a slight gap there. Um, I think part of the point here is is. And particularly for from Anne's point, from the journalism point, is that the story doesn't end when it's published. Um, it has to has to go round again, and that's that's why she's um, pushing back on curation because mm-hmm. it's the start of the conversation, not the end of it. Um, whereas the journalists see it the other way around. They, they've historically said, right, or talk to people, then I will publish the story, and then I'm going to the bar, the, the pub. And that was something that that um, Teresa said when she came on was that if you want to find out more about the story. You go to the local paper where it was published and you read the comments and then you will have all this extra information that the journalists are ignoring because they don't read their own comments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like Andrew Sorkin reads all the backlash on social network and then he tries to sort of edit in his thing, acceptance speeches for his awards. Is that what he does? Well, that's what it seemed like to me when he won the Golden Globe. He... The three things he addressed seemed to me to be direct responses to what had happened online as someone who just had followed what had happened online. But isn't he, that a good thing? Isn't that a good thing? Well, he didn't say that he was responding. It would have been better if he'd said, oh, yeah. acknowledge people. Of course, it's a good – any responsiveness to other people in the world is, to me, always a good thing. Always. But he's still living in the control moment, so he couldn't acknowledge that it was – to him, it was version three. Versus... It's probably a change for him because from what yeah. I understand from Emily Nussbaum, who's a, the New York uh, – television writer he's kind of infamous for really not respecting people's thoughts about his work he's kind of famously great writer so what does he care but women were pissed off about the representation of women in social network and then he gets his award and spends half the time talking about his daughter being inspired by all the powerful women in the room you know just for example oh yeah interesting Mm -hmm. points and Um, then he 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 apologizes to mark zuckerberg also you know i mean like this these things are like interesting you know why would he say so it's, it's inherently conversational over the long run whether or not you you know tell people hey i'm bringing you in or not it, Talk it, about it, an asynchronous conversation, though. <laughs> That's really excellent. interesting. So, so, did you see? Did you see Sadie Doyle's Atlantic piece about this? Um, she wrote about that uh, some, some, yesterday or the day before, where she talked about Sorkin and what he did before about um, taking being heckled online and then replying in, in the form of a show about that. Exactly, um, which is a classic artist. That's his do. medium. Yeah. Um, yeah, but she also referred to the. Um, Tina Fey 30 Rock episode um, about that was about um, let's see it was it was about sexism and the Olivia Munn thing indirectly. Um, well, I have to watch that, that because everyone knows so, that's my favorite topic. Exactly. So it, so it's I think 
Um, I haven't actually seen the episode. I didn't see the episode of 30 Rock, but uh, I thought Sadie's um, essay about it was interesting. Um, But I think she let Sorkin off a bit. I I don't think Sorkin... um, Sorkin may be backing down from from the misogyny a bit, but he's he's still stereotyping um, the geeks too much. Um, and, oh, I, I... and and the, you know what I saw last week or the week before? I think it was four of the of the of the TV episodes had the um, Sorkin geek stereotype as a, as a character um, in it. Clearly, there's there's obviously a, a lag time between them all watching the movie and then writing an episode that had it in, but it was. Um, the Good Wife and Nikita and um, Lie to Me and some other one. They they all had this sort of um, n- um, nerd billionaire stereotype who was either a um, a serial killer um, who killed a woman or um, suing the suing the writer or um, would only meet women that the computer chose for him. You know, there, there, there was yeah. this, this, this. It was like. Wow! Suddenly, everyone a, has picked up picked up this meme and, and injected it into into mainstream television. Well, Julie, Juliet, you can here's I'm going to give you a choice. You can you can jump in on Sorkin. and it's so easy to talk about him. We could spend infinite amounts of time about him, which I'm sure he'd love. Or we can talk about um, people in North Africa, the Middle East. Well, honestly, I'm not by myself, so it would be actually fantastic if people in the chat room or people on Twitter told us what they wanted to hear about, because this isn't just about us. God bless you. <laughs> oh, God. See, if you don't believe in God, you know, then whatever you want to have, bless her. You know, the higher power. Have that be that. Be. Well, while we're waiting, pick your, pick your poison. Well, while yeah, we're so waiting, the, I want to ask you about the gathering while we're waiting, because I think that's an Uber Tumblr thing. So, so, so yes, yeah, it's, it's Juliet. To me, you, I really think of you as a Tumblr because of that. It's true. I know you're, you you had this background in television journalism and stuff, but you are into bringing people together, and you you put a thing together called the Gathering that um, helps people make make work together. Right, the kinds of people you're interested in getting to know and to network with. Yeah, well, the gathering was was um, something that came out of the TED conference, and I'm, you know, actually thrilled to be talking about it while TED's going on right now. Um, we've got a bunch of gatherers that are there that are presenting, uh, including Jessica Banks, who um, she works on robotic furniture and does some amazing stuff. Um, and so we've got essentially the the people that were under the age of thirty about when Chris Anderson took over. Um, at that point, there were very, very few people under the age of 30. If you're familiar with the history of TED, it's it's generally been a much older crowd. I mean, it's six or $7,000 a pop. Um, you'd expect that and by invitation only. So the idea behind the gathering was, well, what's going on with our generation? I mean, we all know some brilliant people that aren't just talkers or thinkers that are actually doers. What would happen if we got them together and started talking about our various projects? And essentially, that's how the gathering was born. Uh, in 2002, so we're about to celebrate our 10th anniversary um, with such a, an amazing cross-section of people. I mean, over the years, um, we've essentially, you know, surrounded ourselves with people from NASA to Cirque du Soleil, um, some really, really smart people working on projects that are incredibly inspiring to the rest of us. And so we've got three main um keys to asking people to participate and collaborate. One is that you're already doing, in other words, you're already an entrepreneur, you're already on your way, um, and you're just looking for, you know, more um, collaborators to work with you. Two, that your EQ is higher or equal than your IQ. In other words, that you play well with others. And the third thing is that you want to leave a positive impact on the world. So those are three really, really important uh, elements to the DNA of our participants. We've got about 150 that are all over the world, and it's such a great group. I mean, we, we really don't do anything publicly. Um, it's very much kind of a word-of-mouth thing where uh, because all of our members have projects that that we all want to work on, we don't have to advertise, we don't market, we don't sell tickets. It, it's, um, you know... Instance, How very non-social media douchebaggy of you. <laughs> well, it's, the kind of thing, it's actually the kind of thing where exactly. we just wanted to make sure that we seeded it with, again, the right DNA with with people that um, 
again, weren't just talking about doing stuff that are actually doing stuff. And that's kind of why I wrote 33 million people in the room, which is really focused on social media, because all of the stuff that we can't talk about because of crazy NDAs, um, you know, we can still talk about the idea of co-creating the future of cross-disciplinarian collaboration, uh, research and development and ideation. And so that's the exciting part is that I feel like I've got my feet in two completely different worlds, but it's, it's pretty much where we're at in the world right now, right? There are certain things that you want to work on that you can't really talk about because you just want to get it done and get it out there. And on the other end, you want to be able to co-create and collaborate with people. So how do you bridge that gap? So what yeah. helps you create an environment that helps co-creation happen? What are the things you're consciously doing? Well, again, the selection of people is is incredibly important. Um, you know, there are people that we've actually met. It's not just because somebody sends you an email and says, hey, we want to participate in the gathering. Usually it's people that are, are recommended by other gatherists. Um, so there's, there's kind of a self-selection there and a, a family atmosphere. Um, the second thing is that the, the rest of the group really works as an advisory board. So contrary to Ted, where you've got, you know, presenters on stage and people kind of commingle in between at the gathering, it's a constant commingling. Everybody that comes and participates is presenting. So that's incredibly important as well. There are no, it's very burning man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, sure. I mean, I I think that that's that's a compliment in that burning man. Absolutely. The, a tight no spectators. Yeah. That's one of their ground rules, no spectators. Absolutely. And and certainly the Burning Man community is a community of doers, right? Yeah. So beautiful art comes out of it and it really is a philosophy. And so in that sense, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that that sounds good. You know, that's nice also um my uh, stuff that I talk about and I'm presenting, one of the people I learned this from, a mentor to me, Sarah Little Turnbull, who's an amazing pioneering industrial designer and I hope still with us, but really quite old. Uh, she invented Corningware. She eats a million, billion things, has never kind of probably been given the kind of recognition she deserves. But she said to me, um, and I'm sure she said it to many students and people, that nothing brings people together like a shared problem. So I think yeah. that that kind of orientation yeah. around making together is a very powerful thing to do. It's a much more powerful connector of people than a speech. It doesn't necessarily connect anybody. Well, that's the thing. And, and so another aspect of the gathering is that when we all get together in a physical space, because we collaborate mostly online because people are spread out, uh, but we do make it a point to get together um, so that we can, you know, see each other's eyeballs from time to time and we cook together. And, you know, there are so many DJs that are part of the group so that, you know, all the entertainment, all of every aspect of our weekend together is curated by the group. And so we're not just building things. We're also, you know, creating meals and creating atmospheres. And I do believe that that's, that's a key element of, of kind of creating a culture, you know, of doing. So, um, what are, so, so those are the, so your, your guiding principles are, that's how you pick those the kinds of people that you pick as part of it, focusing on making as part of what, what else do you think about when you choose the people who are coming, the place, um, whether or not something moves ahead, what you're doing to help move conversation or activity forward? What are you, do you feel actively responsible or do you feel like you just participate by yourself and let everything happen collectively? Or are you really kind of looking out and shepherding? Well, I think that I, I feel very, very fortunate in that um, I make it a point to connect with each and every gatherist so that I get to know them on a very personal level. And I always find out what it is that they want to talk about in advance. And so the idea that, you know, everything that's talked about is coming from the members themselves. I'm not imposing anything, but because... I have a bird's eye view of where everybody's coming from. It's easier for me to kind of decide the flow of the conversation throughout the weekend. There's an order that kind of emerges from the chaos 
Um, and it's always fascinating to see like the flow of conversation from one presentation to another presentation to the father that happens to, you know, that somebody will say something and next thing you know, somebody's in the backyard building exactly that, you know, or connected to their friend on the other side of the world that is building another component that'll work with it. Um, in terms of the, the locations, uh, we've had some very, very um, generous people like the founder of the Cirque du Soleil, Guy La Liberté, who's given us his estate. Ooh, more accent powerfulness on television. <laughs> <laughs> we like we like the accents here. Well, I like the accents too, especially when they, when they go with a beautiful estate where I can invite my, uh, my key friends. Absolutely. Uh, we've got Richard Branson, who was kind enough to offer uh, Necker Island for a gathering. So, you know, incredibly generous uh, people that that want to participate and and like the way that we kind of I guess come together, but also the overarching idea that it's it's just a, a small part of a much larger picture. It's kind of a snapshot of the zeitgeist of what's going on in the world right now, and that's a wonderful thing to feel like you're a part of something larger than yourself. Are you able to have people there who aren't worth a ton of money in the same way that in the way that Ted isn't? Uh, I certainly would never, ever judge somebody based on how much money they may or may not have. I'm all about ideas, ideas that are good for the world, um, that will hopefully see the light of day, because I don't think that any one person has the answer, but I think that the network knows. So for me, it's really about what what's in your head. What do you want to accomplish? What are you working on? What can we do together? Uh, money is, is not something that drives me or anybody that I work with. Um, my mama taught me when I was really, really young, you know, follow your passion and the money will come. I'm a big believer in that. Yeah, that's true. If you're lucky. <laughs> I was just thinking about that. That's, that's the Jewish you, version. That's the Jewish, that's the Jewish version. version of Follow Joseph Campbell. And the, money, and the money will come if you're lucky. I'm going to write like a Jewish the, inspirational self-help book. If the Cossacks don't get you first. That's right. <laughs> Believe in yourself because I never will. No, but it's you, like all got little zingers under each one of the inspiring moments. There's, you know, you the, world totally is abundant. <laughs> the world is abundant. But I also believe that hell, your success, you know? your success is, is greatly going to be determined by the people that you surround yourself with. Sure. Totally. And then I, I started the gathering with, with my partners is because, um, if you saw the Ted, TEDx Gotham talk that I gave in October, November, like I talk about, I talk about the fact that I felt totally disconnected with my family when I was growing up and that, you know, it became very apparent at a young age that I needed to pick my family, my extended family, that is. And so I started picking mentors from books that I was reading and articles that I was reading in the newspapers and, you know, just very, very consciously trying to surround myself with people that were doing the things that, that inspired me or that I wish that I could do one day. Um, and I think that that applies in every walk of life, both personal as well as professional. The better you're surrounded, the more you're going to be able to charge each other's batteries. Because I think that, you know, very, very talented people are incredibly sought out. And so people tend to drain your energy. And if you're not surrounded by people that will replenish that energy, that will inspire you, then how do you expect yeah. to keep on? I know, think that that's a really, a really apt thing to notice. So who, who recharges you? Because I'll tell you, I, I think part of my, part of what I wonder about, even for the people who loves Ted or I know in my case, South by Southwest, right. these environments can change in a way in which they don't regenerate you anymore because the more it becomes like a broadcast sale. Right. You know, especially, is there something there today, for you? Right? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I would say that in my case, at least, because I, I can't speak for anybody else, but in my case, um, I only really work with people that I like and I only work on projects that I care about. And so that helps a lot in terms of you know environments that don't energize me anymore. It's like people that don't energize me anymore. It's not because I, I'll never go back again, but until I get that sense that you know, it's, it's worth going. It doesn't suck out more of the energy than, than it brings back. Then why should I go? Because everybody else is going, that's not good enough for me. 
uh, good enough for you. So, so Julie, do you, in the time that we have left, um, if anyone has questions for Julie or things you want us to talk about, I know everyone's our conference, our chat room's getting into Pechacucha and Ignite, and I have like long rants about that. I don't know that I want to derail our conversation um, here with Juliet. Would you uh, do you want to get into the revolutions? I know it's something you've thought a lot about, and I'm sure that you know you're you're anyone who talks about social media publicly is going is getting asked now to speak about it in the, in the public sphere because that's what's happening in Egypt and all of these countries. It's a pretty exciting time, and I don't think it's something that's well understood in general. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you're excited to talk about it, that's fine. I know it's something you were mentioned you were into, but we can just continue on this path otherwise well, i know that you really wanted to talk about charlie sheen what i will say about uh, <laughs> i know you don't want to get caught up with yeah, you know people really dying for freedom in libya when you could talk about charlie sheen other but you know but okay. for anybody who wants to get a better sense of um you know the the possibilities of you know, social media and revolution and what's actually going on from the perspective of somebody who actually has been in the Middle East, uh, as opposed to, you know, like most of us on the outskirts kind of, you know, looking at our our belly buttons and our TVs and our computers and phones at the same time. Um, Watch the TED Talk by Wada Kanfar, the head of Al Jazeera. It's a TED Talk. And I was so happy to see that it's on Hulu. It's like featured on Hulu right now Um, because there are so many people. I mean, we take TED for for granted that everybody knows what it is, but that's just not the case. Um, And so it's just elitists. (laughs) Well, there you go. So this is a really nice 10 minute a beautifully worded presentation by somebody who knows what he's talking about. And so he does go into social media. He goes into youth. He goes into leaderless revolutions and the keys to not only, you know, revolting, but also, you know, potentially co-creating a new constitution. And I think that that's important, whether we talk about it here or you talk about it at home, that, that people think about it, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's fascinating. I always feel like talked I talked about it the right time in the right place what well yeah to to i mean that's that's probably it's true but i mean to some degree isn't that the case because we evolve the tools we need based on who we are at the time well you know <laughs> there's a lot to be said about that um i'm a firm believer that the medium is the message so yes succinctly answered um so Kevin, what what do you think? We've talked about the the, the revolutions and social media a few weeks now. Is there is there a new place you'd like to dig into it around um, what's gone on in Libya in particular this week? I think is where. So, so do you think, for example, like even just the one thing reason I'm going to mention Sheen is, for example, yesterday what happened with him kind of took over Twitter for a day. Do you think that? people at least in the West are just going to put it aside because it becomes just a regular story and not people we're connected enough with to stay in, in, engaged with. So it just becomes like a new thing to, to look at for a minute. It's, it's difficult. I mean, it is, it's, it's, as long as there's a hopeful story, people are, people will keep following it or as long as there's a shocking story, they'll keep following it. Um, and in some ways that, you know, Watching Gaddafi speak was, was is, is very like watching Charlie Sheen meltdown. It suddenly that is me why Charlie Sheen is relevant because I think I yep. think Gaddafi makes it's a Gaddafi thing to me. It's it's he almost gets the attention he gets because of his and the West because of his willingness to willingness because he's the more dis- shocking it is and insane it seems, the more people can't look away. Right? I mean, bar like accident. Yeah. But, but Kevin, that's not true in building stuff, right? Like if you're building an open source project, people don't stay involved because it's shocking or because it's – or maybe, maybe it's the other thing you said. You think there's hope for things to be better. Maybe that keeps you engaged differently. That's interesting. Um, well, people, I think people get – do people get involved in open source projects if they're shocking? Um, only, only insofar as I mean, a, a lot of the ways open source projects get going is by saying there's this thing we need to make our, an open source version of it, and they're almost defined by what they're in opposition to. Um, in, in some ways, Linux was 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 defined by Windows, and and if you look at the desktop Linuxes, they all they all feel very Windowsy, and they were never very, they were never sort of saying, oh, we need to do this some, some new and different way. Um, initially, they were they were like, we're building this thing, and it has to be at least similar to this other thing. So there's. Um, 
so to some so it's, it's to some extent it's a sense of outrage it's like we need something to to replace this 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 thing that we're the cross about no, the, the diaspora was in, in opposition to Facebook. It's like Facebook is taking over everything. Therefore, we'll all fund diaspora. Was that? Was right. that? You know. but, but in a way, that had been the sort of at least Western story about why these dictators were supposed to be supported by the American government, legitimized by them, because the other alternative was only positioned as Islamic fundamentalism. I mean, and this seems to be taking people in the West, like from out of nowhere, uh, the idea that there's this massive youth population that's happy, happy to, through social media, push, um, and not only social media, but to push what seems to be more secularized, networked, democratized approach. I mean, Juliet, have you been, have you been following this? Do you feel like, like how comfortable are you or how confident are you that we're going to see something completely new in these countries or in any well, of them? Well, first of all, I think that, that we need, if we are going to be talking about social media within the context of what's going on in the Middle East, we also have to acknowledge that it, it really is, um, about a cross-section of different media. I mean, how how did WikiLeaks affect the story? How did the mainstream press pick up on Al Jazeera, who picked up on social media, and, and how, you know, all of this was essentially led by a group of people, and that's that's really, really key. So we've seen, you know, what happened in Egypt, and we saw what happened in Tunisia. We don't know what's going to be happening in Libya moving forward, but what we do know, and there's a really great uh, article about this in The Guardian about moving forward from here. Once the revolt has happened, once the dictator right. is out, what next? And uh, again, I refer to this TED Talk uh, that I mentioned before by the head of Al Jazeera, who's also kind of jumping on the bandwagon with this idea that all of these revolutions are essentially being led by youth, by intelligent youth who are using the tools that they have to be able to amplify what they believe in and this overarching idea that, um, you know, oppression is not a good thing and that whether, you know, we have differing religious perspectives or, you know, different perspectives on women and a cross section of other things, there are certain things that we all believe in together. And so one of the questions that I posted on Quora actually and on Twitter uh, yesterday or the day before was, you know, can social media help in kind of co-creating a vision, a new constitution, a new way of moving forward in these countries, right? And so I don't pretend to have the answers, but I think it's important that we all, again, think about it. So if we want to figure out who is tumbling That's these things it, on the ground, how do we find those people? How do we know who is really making connecting people even within social media in these countries not like who's really doing not just like good name was the most attention who's really on the ground how if you wanted to figure that out Juliet, what would your approach be through twitter facebook how would you figure out who those people are well for instance i did an interview with the bbc uh, a couple of days ago and they connected me another person that was speaking uh, from the middle east was at sand monkey and so here's somebody that i i didn't know that i was not following on twitter uh, but that I got introduced to via mainstream media and then started following him that led me to other people that are on the ground that are telling their stories. If you follow the hashtag, uh, you know, January 25th, January 26th, uh, you've got other, you know, really fascinating perspectives and images and stories that I haven't heard in mainstream media yet. Um, they're again on core. I don't know if you guys are on quarter uh, mm -hmm. or not, but I've, I've been looking at the Middle East and revolution section. And again, there are some really, really great posts and links um, to once again, people that are on the ground, also great sites that translate tweets um, and commentary from Arabic to English, which is key, right? In, yeah. in the communication, it's great that the messages are going out, but if you don't understand what's being said, it's really difficult to make any sense of it. So again, this idea of, of um, kind of creating meaning out of, you know, what's going on is incredibly important. And, and that's one of the things I think that that I look forward to to using sites like Quora for, not just kind of geeking out about it, but in a very constructive way, you know, what are some of the questions that we're all thinking about? What are some of the links that you guys have that I don't have? Or what's some of the overarching thinking there? And kind of 
um, getting a much stronger worldview of what's going on in whatever language that you speak. Yeah, and what's interesting about what you talked about and is it's still too difficult to find the tumblers, the nodes, the activists, unless you get that one, even, you know, apart from that one big media face, Mm -hmm. there still aren't tools. I mean, what you just described is a really deep process that most people are not going to spend the time doing. And so it's, it's interesting that with all the attention spent on the number of followers someone has or the influencer or the face of the revolution, I think one area that you mentioned before, Heather, in your question is, you know, what's going to happen with following the revolutions online? I think, you know, the Egyptian revolution took on something. A, it was the first one. It had a resolution. It had a couple of friendly human faces to it. Um, and it had, uh, you know, um, a positive outcome that happened quickly. All those things work great in a networked world in, a, in today's media world. In Libya, we didn't have the, you don't have, you have lots of jerky YouTube videos. You don't have a face. You don't have the same mentality. You're going to have something more drawn out. So to find those, I'm amazed that, you know, even the mainstream press can find people on the ground to talk about this stuff. But going forward to use the social media tools that you're talking about, Juliet, it's mm-hmm. like we need better tools for activists and tumblers. Right. Or, and we also need tools to help figure out who, who they are. That's, are. What, I'm we're, That's we're, what I'm saying. Because we're not focused on who has the most followers. Exactly. Well, we're focused the, on how things right. are spreading, right? Right. So, again, a few more hashtags that I grabbed off Cora, and, and I completely agree with you, ladies. I mean, I, I'm not saying that the tools are necessarily with you. easiest to navigate. But the information is out there, and I think that that's the key point. So, again, a few more hashtags. Um, January 28th, January 27th, Egypt, Free Egypt, uh, which was actually associated with the group Anonymous, from what I understand. Mm, Interesting. Uh, Sidi Bouzid, also El Baradei. So these are all, again, recommendations that came from uh, a a cross-section of different people on Quora, and I've been, you know, following a few of these. And, and frankly, I've been getting a lot more information than I, I really expected. Good. Yeah, we're um, actually we are putting something together that that hopefully will be helpful. Uh, not not an online tool, but rather a. Well, you'll see. You know what? You'll you'll have to have me back on the show. I'll I'll share it with you then. Love to. We definitely do that. Absolutely. I mean, that's part of what we're hoping to do. And actually, maybe, so here's a problem we have, Juliet, maybe if it's something you guys want to work on the gathering or you have ideas, we really want to help affect, influence, motivate more coders to build in this direction because one, to make the existing social networks we have much more human centered because we're stuck now with a lot of Facebook and I'm almost devastated that Yuri Angstrom launched an app that makes you log in through Facebook. It's like really disturbing to me. We'll have to have him back on to talk again about it. So not only is that an issue, but like these other tools, like to help us understand who, who, what's really going on with people inside. If you want to get, um, you know, people have, that are making, you know, going to really tumble, mm-hmm. how do you find them? So if I don't know if that's kind of, I mean, you're saying that you're working on an app with a bunch of people that that it's trying to. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is I'm not working on an app. I am so not working on an app. I am, I am working on, um, I'm working on a document, um, that is linked to what's going on right now in the Middle East, but it's kind of a, an overview that has absolutely no political undertone whatsoever, but is rather a a kind of a, uh, if you want to, a manifesto for revolution. Like, so, so sort of, is it a how-to for leaderless, for rev- revolutions so, in the network age? Kind you of know, that th- there supposedly is a, is a piece, I'm trying to rem- remember where I heard, referred to, and that a lot of people in Egypt were using, and yeah. it's a Canadian guy, I think. Is am I right? No, it's some older gentleman. Some kind of how-to that was very general, wasn't necessarily about, social media. If somebody in our chat room is going to know, I'm sure. Anyway, I think we're getting um, near the end of, of, of things here. I did mention we're going to try to get, get into some tips and some and uh, ideas about what's going on, some some uh, advice on how to tumble. Um, Yuri Amstrom, who, again, is also someone we've had on the show before, the one lone sociologist Google seems to have ever hired, um, co-founder of Jaiku, which Google acquired, and then he ran Google Social, 
has just launched today an app which we're really wanting to play with and haven't been able to yet called Ditto, uh, which is a social mobile app based on helping you figure out what you want to ne- do next with people. So you're sort of saying, here's what I want to do to help you find people to do it with. I want to go have a hamburger. I'm looking to go to a movie. I'm going to see this movie. Stuff like that. And, and I think probably more than that, but it, it, it's, I'm going to guess it's going to have one of the best, most human-centered approaches to connecting people of, of a social app so far. I have a lot of confidence in Yuri, except I'm so disturbed that it's only got a Facebook <laughs> sign-in. So we'll see check what happens. Ditto, folks. <laughs> it, it is also iPhone-only at the moment, too, which is... It is iPhone-only, but I can't get it to turn on, so we'll have to review it next <laughs> That's the review number one of Ditto, Deb Schultz. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll let you know when I can. I'll be back. <laughs> Any t- so what other tips or uh, apps would you like to let people know about Deb? Uh, on how to tumble better. I mean, I think a good tip on how to tumble is that, that you haven't mentioned yet is um, the old, uh, in whatever environment you're in, whether it be a, a room or online, the the beauty of connecting others to new ideas has to be done by, you know, so sort of first acknowledging them. Like, I can't tell you how often I feel like the conversations happening in the world today are very one dimension. Everyone's talking and no one's listening. And I'm, I'm always harked back to when we all first started blogging. And part of blogging was you didn't just jump in on someone's blog and comment on it without sort of having something to say yourself. And so I think there's really something about giving to the community before you get. So if you're going to make a comment about something, agree or not, give a piece of information first. Give something to someone. Um, and, and, and a very practical tip is instead of using the word but, use the word and. Yes, that's a great one. I, that's one of my favorites, Deb. Yeah, it's a really simple one. You want to diffuse a situation, you want to bring people together, use the word and instead of the word but. Yeah, I'd say just you're right in general when you can, if you, even when you're writing or tweeting, I, I'm trying to catch my cell phone as I'm about to give a critique. Right. Um, and say, like, there was somebody suggested something to today on Twitter, and I was about to say, but you need to, or it's such and such must happen. And I just right. stopped and wrote, it would be great if. And I just felt, and you know what? Like, I just felt lighter inside saying it. Like, I felt less, mm-mm-mm. And uh, I would say, check in with how you feel. Too. Yeah, that's a good one. Check it, how you feel. Actually, it, yeah. my favorites also is, and it, it kind of goes back to, you know, knowing how to surround yourself, is when you're with somebody, you need to measure your own temperature. Is your energy level going up or going down? Are you feeling energized? Or are you feeling, you know, like you're, you're being sapped away? And the moment that you realize one or the other, act on it. I think that's really, really important. And that yeah. is like maybe the most helpful thing you've said all not that you haven't said. <laughs> well, you know where that you know where that's you know what's great about it's that? So simple and it's so powerful. I'm going to look for the list. It's so great, but it relates a lot to I think what's missing a lot from conferences and places is um you know the open space or the unconference the bar camp scene is all based on that the law of 2 feet. Yeah. So if you're in a space and you're not getting energy from it, leave. And that's and, and, and there's an understanding that that's not you being rude by leaving because you being in a space where you're not giving or getting from it impacts the space as well. So mm-hmm. go. So leave. That's where that law of two feet comes from. And what you're saying is the same thing because if you're staying in a relationship or a conversation or in a space with a person and you're not getting, you're going to get frustrated then you're going to get angry then you're going to get depressed, whatever all those psychological things are going to happen and it's just not going to work, right? <laughs> but I think it can be, it can be tricky because, Julia, yes. some people find anger a certain kind of energizing and can really get confused about that as, a, as thinking that that's a – you know, because you can kind of lock in on tunnel vision, I think, with anger sometimes. How do you, how do you check in to make sure that the energy you're getting isn't an anger kind of energy? Well, that's interesting. I mean, I think that that, you know, that kind of harkens back to do you know yourself? If you can't tell whether the energy that, that you're feeling is positive <laughs> or negative, then that's a much larger conversation than, than um, who you're surrounding yourself with. 
So I, I also think that you have to take responsibility for the exchange that you're having with the other person. It's not just about the energy that they are or are not giving right. you. I think right. it's also about empowering that other person. Like, let's say that you're you're really not getting anything out of this conversation, but you're able to say something like, so, you know, what are you passionate about? And all of a sudden you see that spark in the person's eyes and they start going off about something. And even if you're not particularly interested in that thing, but the energy that comes off of them because they're finally in their zone, you know, there's value there. So I I believe in, in taking responsibility, not just for the people around you, but also empowering them to, to get to that energy level. That's a really good point. And it's also, you know, the spark comes from, it also highlights how very rarely people feel listened to and heard. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, I, I love that. think you guys, this is all very, look at all this handy stuff. We got a lot of good handy stuff in there. I want to thank Juliet Powell. You can catch her 33 million people in the room online and I guess some kind of social media manifestoishness to come. <laughs> At Juliet Powell on uh, Twitter and anywhere your browser works, right? Juliet, thank you for joining us. Will we be sticking around? We stick around in the, the after show for a little bit. Uh, you bet. Thanks so much. For All having right. Me. I can't wait to see you guys in person. Are you going to be at South by? Oh, you better believe it, girl. Oh, then we'll we'll then we'll all be there. We'll see yeah, you. We'll talk. We'll talk after the show. We'll, we'll set up some time to snack it up. So, Deb, any uh, really nice tips there on the uh, ways to talk? I liked a lot of those. I use a lot of those in, in uh, the things. I use different phrases, but it's all, it's all good stuff. All I especially all loved your um, loved your thing about the simple word. It's such a little thing to catch, but it makes a big difference. It's like a habit. Really, it's like changing a habit, like getting up yeah. earlier. I think a lot of tumbling things are, um, are, 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 can be su- subtle and simple and change everything. And I think that's why we ha- sometimes have so much trouble um, architecting it for others, which we're going to do a better job on. Um, I'm just excited to be at uh, South by Southwest this coming week and hopefully can avoid some of the noise. And I'm excited if anyone who's listening will be there. I'm giving a talk that relates a lot to what we were just talking about, which yes. is... Dear Miss Manners, WTF, the social media, um, which is really about what is this sort of new social contract that we're creating in this emergent new space, you know, sort of the assumptions that we have and don't have, whether it's Charlie Sheen or um, people saying inappropriate things in your Twitter stream or, but it's really about a a new moral ethic principle about now that we're all connected all the time, how do we want to be in that world? So. I'm going to be very um, looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you, Heather, face-to-face and Kevin and Julia. We will be – the three of us will be in the same room. It's quite exciting. We'll have to take a photo again. We will. We will. We still have we to find may- somebody to do the show from next week. And, you know, yes. we will we'll call some kind of tumbling meetup for people who are there. We'll just pick a place. And we'll be like, yes. all right, who wants to come here? And here we are. For sure. That's what, yeah, because that's the way we roll, real time. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Kevin, any other things coming for you? You'll be at South by anything else? Um, no, I'll be at South by um, talking at a session on federated social web and microformats and those things as well. Um, and I'll be, I'll be there for um, Thursday through Wednesday. So plenty of time Woo-hoo. to uh, track me down. Very exciting. I will be uh, also surprised at South by Southwest. <laughs> Doing, uh, I'm going to put the panel in here, um, cash, indie success, caching and collaboration. We're going to talk about the process of creative collaboration and independent success as an artist. Tony Comstock would be awesome if you're going to be there Woo-hoo. to have you be part of it. Um, and we're going to feature a f- former guest of the show. Uh, I think a real genius and I don't like to throw that word around much. Ali Willis. Uh, com. an uh, incredible songwriter who's done things like, um, she wrote September by Earth, Wind and Fire. Really what else you need to do after that? You really don't need to do anything else, but she has done 80 million things. Uh, and she's collaborated with Pompamoose, with, uh, James Brown, with you name it, all kinds of artists. And, um, so I want to talk about the collaboration process, uh, co-creating like Juliet was talking about and Kenyatta cheese from, uh, formerly rocket boom and Mary Jo Pell from riff tracks and NPR done a lot of writing with Bill Corbett. 
I'll also be tumbling a session with Melissa Jira and Jeff Jarvis on oversharing, which will get very personal and very intense. Well, we'll see how my miscarriage com- uh, compares to Jeff's penis in terms of public conversation <laughs> and what it means to be public about what's really going on and how people respond to those kinds of things. I'll also be in Seattle um, performing for the first time in a while. Uh, I look like an egg, but I identify as a cookie. My first interactive solo show, including and directed by the people formerly known as the audience, in which I bake chocolate chip cookies with everybody in this sexual coming of age story and I've baked 50,000 cookies. So that's that coming up in Seattle and unpresenting Seattle's around the same time. You can catch that at unpresenting.com. So that's all the stuff we've got going on. If you'd like to bring unpresenting or how to tumble to your town, you can just put up a Facebook page and 10 people request it and I will come. I want to thank everybody. Tony Comstock's got a, a, film coming up, Tony. I know it's like higher the stream. It's in the New York independent film. Fest, is that it? Um, one of our regulars here. Maybe if you want to post it, I'll, I'll let everybody know the name. And he's also got a bunch of stuff on uh, theatlantic.com where he was blogging for Fallows. And please check out Howard Lipson's blog, posting on um, creating independent programming platforms. We'll so put it all up week, on the show notes. Yes. And th- first of all, big thanks. Maybe even applause for producer Andrew Hazlitt of The New Modern doing... Woo. A freaking awesome job, even with the music. We got the music now. So thanks to all of you. I hope we'll get to meet you all at South by Southwest. If not, we will figure out TumbleCon. It will happen. We will be together someday. So we'll be here next week with, I, I think you can actually use this word for him, digital community pioneer. He really is uh, Howard Rheingold, mm-hmm. author of like every other book written about the web. He wrote the book on digital communities in the 80s, I think it was. 80s, yeah. Yes, in the 80s. In the 80s. when There you was were community on the aha. web in the 80s? There's, There's community, community the before Facebook? Yeah. I think that's cute, the music. Stocks. His movie was Sister Cinema. Sin, like, like Seven Deadly. Anyway, <laughs> thanks, Cowbells. Tony. Thanks, Juliet. Thanks, thanks Juliet Powell. 